Hello, and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the socialist feminist podcast hosted by four people with seven pets between them. Today we have Kellen, Jules, Zoe, and Laura. And today we're talking about animals and specifically pets. All of us at Season of the Bitch have at least one pet, and Jules, Zoe, and I all have two who we live with, um, which is, of course, to say nothing of the family pets that live with our parents and the other associated pets in our lives. So, you know, you could say this is a subject that's near and dear to our hearts. Um, And I think this is going to be kind of like a fun episode. We're going to talk about our own relationship with pets, the history of animal domestication, like what the fuck is up with pet rent that shouldn't be a thing, and uh, and other stuff too. Um, Like I said, I think it'll be just a little loosey-goosey episode, but I'm excited to talk about all things cat, dog, hamster, fish, ferret, horse, goat, pig, etc um with you all please don't forget my childhood lizard i can't (gasps) wait to hear about that (laughs) i am excited to hear we'll get there i think that's like a great actually place to start if we just like we could all kind of go around and share our own histories with animals growing up so um does anybody want to go first um yeah i can go first i think um So when I was growing up for most of it, I didn't have like a cat or a dog. Um, I mostly had like occasional fish um, or like those types of small little pets, Um, which I think is partly because my dad, when he was growing up, always had hamsters and they like hamsters are really notorious for not really being great at like staying in their cage. Like they always want to escape. And so he had a lot of hamsters that like, escaped from their cage, died tragically when they didn't have any food, and then were found later somewhere in the house. So it just, I think it was kind Holy of traumatic shit. for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, very upsetting, um, which we will get back to later in my history with pets, because I did live with a hamster for a while. But um, anyway, so when I was first like a baby my parents had two outdoor cats my dad is allergic to cats and I was like maybe a little bit allergic when I was a baby um and my sister definitely was also so we had like the my parents had had these cats um and actually one of my first memories which I think I've like embellished in my mind but like part of this is definitely a real memory is of our cats dying um and I have it's like it's kind of sad but also like looking back on it now it's really funny to me because I what I remember happening is that I woke up in the middle of the night and just somehow knew that the cats were dead and I went to my parents like I have no memory of like seeing a dead cat but I went to my parents room and woke them up in the middle of the night and was like the cats are dead and I'm like that must have been so scary for them like what did they think was going on um so hard to say but that definitely I mean like like, you're a a goth child yes exactly (laughs) so wait what (laughs) happened to the cats how did they die I think they just died of old age together um, at the same time yeah see that's i I also really am going to have to ask my parents about this because I feel like I've talked about this and it's like, it is like they did die around this time, but I think they might've died like a couple of days apart. And I'm like, I have this memory of like one night where I woke up and was like, the cats are dead. That's so Um, spooky. But it was kind of spooky. And then we buried them in the backyard, which was sweet. Um, But that was kind of my first like, experience with death and I think like a lot of my early experiences with death were all around animals um I in high school my family got a dog um which I don't remember my sister and I being like super like a lot of kids are like please can we get a dog please can we get a dog I don't think we were like that but I think at some point my parents just were like we were like it's like the kids are no longer require this level of care and like potty training. So now we're ready to have like an animal that can need a little bit more attention. 
Um, so we got a dog in high school. Um, that dog passed away kind of like sadly and suddenly. She got hit by a car, um, which Aww. was very sad. Yeah. Um, and that was also like a bit, I think that was like maybe when I was in middle school or early high school. So that definitely was like a really like meaningful relationship. And then it was really sad when she died. Um, then my family got our second dog, Ellie, who is my beautiful freaky queen. She's extremely disproportionate and a mutt. Um, and my parents have now told me that the vets have classified her as an elderly dog, but she's still going strong. Um, and also when I left for college, my parents got a second dog. So I like to joke that they got her to replace me. Um, her that name is to Penny. Me too. Yeah. It's, I dogs mean, are real. it's just, I just yep. like, <laughs> I've never had a good relationship with Penny. And I think it's partly because I know that like she was obtained to replace me. Um, <laughs> but also Ellie and Penny hate each other. So like, I have a lot of anxiety around like when I got my cats who I have now, like what if they don't get along because my experience of having two pets is that they like actively hate each other and try to destroy each other's lives. Um, so that, yeah, that was my like growing up parents home life. When I got like one of my first apartments with a roommate after graduating college, um, my roommate, who was one of my good friends, got a hamster whose name was Mooch. She was beautiful and also a complete daredevil. Similar to my dad's experience, she would try to escape her kids <sighs> every opportunity. And she also would do this horrifying thing where she would like her, like the top of her uh, tank had like it was like mesh so she could grab onto it and she would like climb up onto the top of her little like hamster house, jump onto the mesh and <laughs> hold onto it. And then she would like fling herself at the glass of her tank, oh like God. trying to like break out of it. Wow. And we think this might be part of why she died like a little bit younger than hamsters are supposed to die. And we kind of think she may be like, had some internal bleeding or something oh my god because she just was really determined to get out of Escape that artist. tank um which i think also just really made me be like wow like sometimes having pets is really fucked up like that yeah. hamster did not want to be in that tank but right? um but then at the same time it's like you know hamsters aren't like native to new york so i don't think it would have been good to just let her out it just was like a sad mm -hmm. um complicated emotional situation for mooch um but then i i was thinking about it and i realized that's almost a year and a half ago now i finally got my own pets my two beautiful cats um and i feel like this has just been a time for me of like realizing the different type of connection you can have with an animal when like you are the primary caretaker and like the person that they really are relying on for like food and attention and all of these things like I think my relationship with my parents dogs has always been a little bit more like pet sibling like we have a similar relationship where we are relying on my parents for a lot of our needs and like now it's more like I feel like oh this is more like what it's like to be a parent like I have to care for these animals and if I don't do that, like, it's my responsibility, um, which I feel like is very, it's a different level of responsibility and mm -hmm. also has, like, different sort of emotional rewards, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's pretty much my, my animal history. Extremely powerful. Um, yeah, I can go next. So we had a lot of various pets and pet adjacent people people animals growing up um so this is like vaguely chronological but i don't really know my memory no um so as, as it should be imo like yeah i mean not i it's not how it should be but i just, just i don't understand people who like remember their childhoods in like a concrete way like <laughs> yeah i agree agreed um so yeah there was this stray cat that like mostly lived in our yard and it was like a very dark brown black cat and so we well we my sister decided to name it and she named it poop 
Um, that's my earliest memory. Oh of my God. Kind of fact. My, my parents adapted it. Um, we then ended up calling them chocolate chip batter. But my sister ins- really wanted to name this stray cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, I and then <laughs> the first like family pet I remember us getting was a German shepherd. Um, we got him from a breeder. This is the only pet my family ever got from a breeder. My sister and I were young and we had, my mom really wanted like, a like watchdog vibes. Um, so yeah, we named him Angel. He was not an angel. Um, ultimately he became a police dog, but I will explain that. Like the reason my parents didn't know what to do is because the dog attacked me when I was, I was like four and it was very territorial and I was like dancing around its food and the dog like attacked me and it became a whole thing where my dad had to like control the dog. Um, and I guess it had also happened with my sister, which I don't remember. And so like, that was kind of the only option. What's important. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the only option besides like putting the dog down. Cause yeah. that's unfortunately what people do. Um, so Angel was a cop. Um, I just, so sorry. <laughs> I, I need to just for a quick moment. Yes. Talk about cops using dogs. <laughs> just cause we actually don't talk about it anywhere else. Um, for it and I just I just that was my confession no well I just I was four I was four don't cancel me as most like all of us on this podcast love all animals like some of us may have a bit more of an affinity for cats versus dogs which we will get into I don't know who you're talking about I don't either (laughs) we're not naming any names not naming any names but I I mean like I'm in the same boat like obviously um and but what I will say is I think sometimes people will be like, OK, well, here's a reason why dogs aren't good, actually, is because they're roped into the police state. And to that, I say, look around. They are not in charge of that process. And that's just <laughs> basically like saying that people who are in an emotionally manipulative and abused situation, it's like actually their fault. Um, and so justice for all dogs that are cops, including Angel, um, except for the fact that you bit Zoe. I don't love that, but. <laughs> I just was going to say, I feel like your story, Zoe, is one of the only times that I can think of that that like was a good outcome. Like, it seems like that was like. Angel got a job that he was good at. Like, sorry that it was being a cop, but like, that's not a job he was good at. I'm imagining a children's book where like Angel has like a tie. But I feel like normally when I see a police dog, I feel so bad for the dog because I'm like, they didn't want this. Like, they're kind of like abused in a lot of ways sometimes to like make them be better at being police dogs. So, that's but Angel is good at it, actually. Right. I, I like <laughs> that it could be, um, I don't know. I do. I think we do need some sort of outlet for dogs like Angel. We need a socialist alternative that is not joining the police. And I'll get back to you all on that. <laughs> well, I agree. appreciate that. Maybe. Yes. Do you think, Giselle, just out of curiosity, do you think that the cop dog on Paw Patrol is based on Angel? I, I believe he's a German <gasps> Shepherd. Oh, what? Also, Paw my Patrol? dog's barking. Oh, she- no, no, I just haven't seen it. Oh, I mean, that's fair. It is a show for children. Also, my dog's been barking this whole time. She is very anti-cop, but we'll get to her. We love that. We love that. <laughs> I'm just going to let her bark because for this episode, it fits. Um, yeah, I mean, not that I'm letting her. I just, <gasps> you know. Okay, but she's doing. This is extra. This is extra, girl. Um, anyway uh another like childhood pet thing so my sister virgo stellium um had a knack it is to this she had a knack for winning pets at carnivals and keeping them alive forever wow that is powerful virgo energy yeah so she won a goldfish there was this annual um like Greek carnival at on Memorial Day at like a Greek church near us. And it was like, they would get like rides and games and have like all this Greek food and we would always go. And one year my sister won a goldfish. It lived for like at least five years. Um, most people die the next day. Mine died the next day. My sister's lasted for five years. 
um, their name was Zippity. And every time we came home and it was still alive, my sister would be like, still zipping. Oh my God. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, so that was Zippity. She also won, as I mentioned in the beginning, a lizard. I think that was just named Lizzie, but I don't fully remember. Um, <laughs> Lizzie had to be fed exclusively live bugs. And she was by my dad. Bless his heart. Oh my God. Um, and she also lived for like way longer than a carnival little, like just one of those little lizards for so oh long. Um, and yeah, ultimately died, uh, hopefully a peaceful death. I don't really remember what happened. I was like very young when this happened, but, um, yeah, we also, we had two bunnies at one point because- oh I know my friend had a birthday party where like a local animal shelter, like came and brought pets and you could just pet them and play with them. And they brought bunnies. And I was like, mom, I have to have bunnies. And we didn't get them right then, but we like eventually got bunnies. Um, mine was named Bobo. Cause I thought that that was funny. I don't know. My sister's was named Alice after Alice in Wonderland. They also lived way longer than bunnies are like usually live. Um, so I guess we were very good at keeping pets alive. I wasn't doing any of the caretaking. I was like four, <laughs> um, five at this point, whatever. Um, so yeah, those are kind of the like less emotionally significant pets. I will say I didn't have like strong connections to any of these pets. Um, but when I was five, we got Tiger Lily, who is my, well, was my soulmate cat for life. Um, when I was in kindergarten, we like went around the room and had to say who your best friend was, which is like a really fucked up thing to do with like five year olds, but it was That's the nineties. So but I said my cat and I truly got made fun of that for like the remainder of elementary school, oh but I God. stand by it. Yeah, yeah. So in the perfect answer. was so iconic of you. Right. Thank you so much. So um, she died in like 2014. And actually when Jules was talking about the dead cats, I remembered that I did write a eulogy for Tiger Lily and I did find it. Um, and now I'm seeking affirmation. Should I read it? A hundred percent. Wait, how old are you, Zoe, when this um, happened? Um, in early 20s. <laughs> no, that's... Read it, read it, read it. I'm upset. I was... Please read it. I think I was like 21, 22. Something yeah, that's like that. fine. It just has a different valence than, you know, what you write at 21 is different than what you write at 10. So that's what you think before you hear it. Well, read I it can't and wait. We'll see. Also, okay, I just need to give some context that it was like, I made this into like this little picture book and each page has like an, a picture to go along with it. So oh. some of the lines were based off like what I had pictures of. So I just need people to like imagine that. But yeah. podcasting just isn't the format for my artistic vision on this. Of course, of course. Understandable. Okay. <clears throat> So it says, Tiger Lily, it's very hard to believe that the time has come to say goodbye. I hope that wherever you are, it is filled with avocados, mac and cheese, and all of our favorite tunes. I remember the day mom brought me home from kindergarten and told me that she had a surprise. It was you. At five, I could never have predicted the bond we would share. When I held you in my arms to feed you with that tiny bottle, she was four weeks old when we got her. It was impossible not to fall in love. You looked me in the eyes and it was game over. You had my heart. In my awkward middle school days, you sat beside me when I got home. You were always there to listen to my latest stories of childhood woes. As my childhood woes turned to teenage angst, you never stopped listening. You saw me off to prom and even took photos with me when my date was late. Wow. Subtweet my high school prom date. Also my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I returned home from college, we took selfies, lots and lots of selfies. This was a page of just collages of selfies of us. Please picture. Oh. A lot of people did not understand your hissing and biting. Oh, this is another sidebar. She was like a mean cat, many would say. She was very hissy, very bitey. Um, and like, we, I was really the only human that she was bonded to or liked at all. And I loved that. Um, <laughs> I related to it. So anyway, a lot of people did not understand your hissing and biting. I found it easy to love you. You took my sass and I took yours. You were there knowing what to do, licking away tears, jumping up when I brought snacks into the room, providing quiet company. You'd attempt to crawl into my suitcase every time I left home. I'm sorry that I couldn't take you with me. You were just as excited to see me every time I entered the house again. I felt the same about you. I could never get tired of your sweet, sweet face. You burrowed under the covers to keep my feet warm at night, no matter how long it had been between visits. I never stopped loving you either, no matter how far I'd gotten from home. I'm sorry that I could no longer protect you. You are a part of me that will never be forgotten. In elementary school, I was bullied for telling everyone that you were my best friend. I keep telling them. It's still true. 
Oh my god! Oh my god! Thank you for listening. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah. So that's the kind of relationship I had is that I wrote her a eulogy and we planted like tiger lily flowers for her. Oh, they didn't sprout. Wow. Yeah. So that's tiger lily. About a year after we got tiger lily, we got. um, So my mom, maybe not even a year, like six months. So my mom took tiger lily to the vet to get spayed. And there were two cats at the vet that someone had like left there in a bag, like outside. Um, the vet really needed a foster home. And so my mom brought them home. It was two tabby boy cats. The the orange one we named Peaches and Cream. The gray one we named Cuddles. He was very cuddly. Um, I would like to reiterate, I was five. So um, they came to be fostered with us for two weeks, but we like obviously fell in love with them. Then we had three cats for the rest of my childhood. Um, Peaches was the most annoying cat, like so annoying. And my dad (laughs) hated him. And I always said that Peaches lived the longest of all the cats. And I was like, Peaches will not die until dad accepts him. And as he got older, he was less annoying because he was more chill. And like very shortly after my dad was like, Peaches isn't so bad anymore. I kind of like him. He died. And I was like, dad, you killed him with your acceptance. (laughs) Um, so those are the cats. When I was like 14, we got Lola, who my parents still have, but she's very old. Mm -hmm. Um, On the way home from getting her, she was sitting in my lap in the car and she did poop all over me. So we are (gasps) bonded for life. Poop sisters. Sisters. (laughs) Like blood sisters, but she just pooped all over me. Honestly, Um, more powerful than blood sisters. Yeah. And I have like a distinct memory of um, like I was then like carrying her into our house and my parents were like just taking a long time. And I was like, can you please go faster? I'm covered in shit. <laughs> and I was like 14. <laughs> so yeah, that's Lola. My parents now have another dog they got last year named Rosebud. Um, she's a precious angel as well, but I just don't know her that much yet. But we're working, we're bonding. And yeah, now I have my own two angelic demons. Um, I have Brooklyn, who listeners of the pod have probably heard of. She is perfect. She's a calico. Um, I love her so much. I love that she comes from uh, misandrous breed. Um, For those who don't know, calico is a genetic mutation that 99% of them are female. So like not to be a bioessentialist, but she is a feminist. Um, love her so much. And then recently, a few weeks ago, I got a dog. She's a pit mix, except if my landlord's listening, no, she's not. I'm not allowed to have those. She's just mixed breed unknown. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and her name is Pisces. Um, and yeah, I guess like to what Jules was saying, it's quite different being in charge of your own pets. Like these are the first pets that have been like solely mine that I'm in charge of keeping alive. And sometimes it's overwhelming, but you know, we're adjusting. Uh, Single parenthood is, (sighs) I get it now. (laughs) I keep telling my mom, I'm like, being a mom is hard. Like I get it now. Like I understand why you like why my mom was upset when my sister and I were fighting because I'm like, when Brooklyn and Pisces are not getting along, I'm distraught. (laughs) Um, this is a joke. I understand having humans is different than having pets. Just what everyone, (laughs) this is a bit. I, if anyone didn't know that I would be upset. I just feel like parents of humans can get sensitive that having pets is not the same as a human to that. I agree. And that's why I actually don't want human children. (laughs) Same. (laughs) But I support you if that's what you wanted. Congratulations. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Wow. Amazing. Hard to follow these these two. Um, I'm not shit bonded with anyone, unfortunately. <laughs> or fortunately? I'm not sure. Um, so, Can't say. Yes. Um, I had a Are bunch- you shit bonded with any humans, Laura? I am, actually. Nice. I, I am. Yeah. I got a little nephew's shit all over mm. me on a regular basis, actually. So. See, so you, it's a bot. Your nephew is yeah that uh, he's unaware now. of, you know, like <laughs> that's you the get thing. to tell him about it when he's older and like embarrass him. I would love so. to never be that aunt, and I and I hope that I'm not. Um, 
Anyway, also, also my grandma, actually. So there you go. That one she was aware of. <laughs> uh, I'm shit bonded with somebody I dated, but that's a different story. Oh, my God. OK, anyway. <laughs> Powerful. <laughs> we need a whole episode about being shit bonded. This is fucked up, but I'm here for it. Um <laughs> Okay, if you're still with us, I'm going to talk about the pets in my life. Um, So I had a bunch of different pets growing up. Honestly, when I was first thinking about this, I was like, what? Because it brought up memories of before my parents were divorced, which is honestly, for the most part, a time in my life. I have basically zero memory. Um, They got divorced when I was seven. So to be fair, like, yes, you still have a memory, though, of those times, but Anyway, trauma's fun. Um, But when my parents were still together, we had a couple different pets. I know we had a couple of cats and a small dog. I don't remember any of their names, but I think we ended up having to rehome the cats because my mom was allergic and probably me too um, because I am very allergic to cats. Um, So after my parents got divorced, it's messy as fuck. But suffice it to say, I've had 10 different dogs since that time um, and they were all perfect angels. Um, I will highlight Rufus, uh, who was a Yorkie poo, um, because he was so sweet and little. And I wasn't even that excited about having him because I was like, I was like an anti-small dog person. I was like, you got to have, they got to be bigger. Um, but uh, he would like sleep in my bed every single night. Um, and when I went to college, my parents told me he would like wait near my room for me, which is simultaneously oh. the sweetest and saddest thing ever. Yeah. Um, it also is hard for me to talk about dogs without talking about how my stepdad was like the best dog parent of all time. He would just like run around with them and he always wanted to know that they were happy and he installed these dog doors in our house that I'm going to do my best to try to explain. Um, So obviously, because I grew up around Buffalo, um, it's always been cold as fuck. So a regular dog door does not work here because it's way too cold in the winter for that. So Brian installed these dog doors um, that required dogs to wear like a collar once they got close enough to the door and it would open for them. And honestly, it was kind of ingenious. My family actually has that for like a garage, like to get not the the whole garage door doesn't open, but like to get into the garage, the dogs can like, there's a little dog door that they can do the same thing with a car. Oh my God. I love that. So if it gets cold, it doesn't get that cold in Charlotte. I've never heard of this before, but way less necessary than in Buffalo. Well, you know, even, even in Buffalo, this one dog I had, Taz, who was ridiculous he also like grew a bunch of like benign tumors but to the point that they were so big and we named them like the one on his chest was named chester not super ingenious but just like was what it was eventually it got removed because it was like dragging on the ground but like apparently it wasn't like a problem or like anyway (laughs) this dog who is amazing um would just stand in front of this doggy door in the winter and smell outside instead of actually going outside. Um, So, you know, there are pluses and minuses to this sort of thing. Um, And also my stepdad built dog bunk beds for the three dogs that we had at the same time. Um, And because he was just always trying to come up with new ways for them to thrive. I did post that on Twitter. So if you want to see it, you can go to our season of the bee. (laughs) Highly recommend. Twitter. It is, it is a, a treat. Um, so because Zoe mentioned lizards, I do want to talk about like a little bit of an, a, a curveball in terms of pets. Um, when I was like eight or nine, uh, my mom took my brother and I to the Jersey Shore. If you mm. have never been, um, one of the things that you can get, or at least in the 90s, um, <laughs> you could get is hermit crab pets. So these are like small crabs that live in shells. You have are they Jersey Shore specific? I mean, the ones I got were. But I just grew up going. Crabs, hermit what? crabs are all over the place, but it, but Laura got them at the Jersey Shore. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. I grew up going to the Jersey Shore, so I feel like hermit crabs 
I was just curious if that was like a Jersey Shore thing. I don't mm. know. That's they yeah. have them in like I South Carolina. Yeah. They have them in LA, but I they probably are like a different species, I guess. Yeah, but. who knows? Um, so my brother and I each had one. My brother did not take care of his. His was named Jade, I remember, because the shell was like green. And mm-hmm. I named mine. This is mostly a story about how I'm a certified freak. I named mine Chicken Blame. Chicken Blame? Chicken Blame. Literally, I don't, I don't <laughs> know. So amazing. What? <laughs> I I made a song for it, of course, like was <laughs> decided that was what I needed to do. I don't remember the song, unfortunately, or else I would perform it for you all. But yes, um, similarly to I forget which one of you told a story. Well, so they ended up escaping. We kept them in a massive cardboard box because that was like a way that you could keep them so that they would have more space than like a regular small like terrarium. And I would have to give them a daily sponge bath. But anyway, they one morning I went, (laughs) I woke up so intensive and I went there and they weren't there. And I had seen one like crawling up the fireplace one time. So I knew they could escape and I like put it back. Um, But I like never found them. I don't know if anyone did. I have no idea what happened to Jade and Chicken Blame. In a weird alternative sci-fi version of reality, they're still thriving at my childhood home. They're actually like. Do you actually feel like escaped hermit crabs could like find their way to survival in a way that hamsters maybe could not? I know, but I'm also like, how did they? How could they even get outside? Like, it's just not even their habitat. Also, I. But I hear you. I, I think they probably did not survive well. But anyway, so. Since then, unlike anyone else on the podcast, I have not had any of my own pets. Um, I've lived with several pets um, and have basically become the aunt of several pets as well. My best friend has two cats and a dog, and I'm very, very close with them to the point that the dog will like lose her mind completely when I come in and just stay by me the entire time I'm there, which is just the cutest and best honor I could ever ask for. And I currently live with the perfect angel of a dog named Thermy slash Thurman. He's 14 years old. He's like a, a German Shepherd mix. And he's my roommate's dog. But he is a huge presence in my life and a Pisces icon. I love that for you. I feel like this whole episode is basically just going to be us talking about our pets. And we're not even going to have time to talk about anything else. Um, but that's fine. It is what it is. That's um, great. Yeah. It's perfect. I'm totally fine with that. So I grew up with two dogs. Um, Jenny was this beautiful Dalmatian who was like, instead of having black spots, had brown spots. I think they're called liver spots, but she was just gorgeous, like stunning. And then the other dog we had was this mutt who was so ugly. And his name was Snacky. He just had this giant belly and was like this weird long face, like just a, just, just a disaster of a dog basically. Um, And obviously I was obsessed with him. Um, So people would see us walking and be like, oh my God, that dog was beautiful. And then see Snacky and be like, oh, (laughs) he's nice. (laughs) I want to see a picture. I, I don't have any because it was like when I was really little. Um, yeah. But I might next time I'm home, I'll see if I can dredge up some photos of Snacky. Hell um, yeah. I also have a very early traumatic memory of the a death of an animal. I don't want to get into it because it was bad, very bad. But basically, this bunny that we were trying to take care of, it was a baby rabbit, ended up dying, um, sort of like in our hands after we were trying to save it. Um, when I was like, four or five years old and then I it was my first encounter with death and was very distraught about it um and my dad refused to comfort me and like wouldn't let my mom comfort me because we had to go somewhere so I spent like an hour car ride just like sobbing and hoping that someone would like talk to me about what was happening and my dad just kept like being like shut up basically and that was when I first learned that you know 
no one is ever guaranteed to care about you in this life. Um, so thank you, Bunny, for teaching me that valuable lesson. Anyway, <laughs> it's rough out there. It is. Um, the next thing that happened pet wise for me was that we moved to North Carolina when I was about six and Snacky ran away, which, as you can imagine, was very distressing for me, um, given how much I loved him. Um Sometimes people worry when their dogs disappear that somebody stole them, but in case it wasn't clear, nobody would have stolen Saki. Um, <laughs> but I love him so much. Um, and then we got a cat as a replacement. His name was Upton, and he was extremely evil, and I really loved him. Um, he would go to, like, the top of the stairs. There was, like, our stairs in our house had, like, a place where, you know, like, you can, like, an overhang kind of like a band, you know, like, I don't know, you, you know what I'm talking about? Do y'all like, you go up to the top of the stairs and then there's like a landing that you can like look down at the bottom of the stairs. You get the yes. idea. Got Upton it. would sit on the landing and wait for my mom to go by and jump on her head from the second floor of our house. Um, and he sometimes would miss and just smack, like hit the ground and go like sprinting away. And we also had a wall in our backyard and he would sit on top of the wall, which is slightly lower and wait for me and my brother to go by. And from that slightly lower height, jump on our heads. Um, he trained my mother to only give him water from the fountain, which I have been told is also potentially suggestive of some sort of kidney issues. But knowing Upton's personality, I think it might have just been because he was mean and liked to bully my mom. Um, and then we got Marty and Mary, which were like the kittens that my brother and I got. I named mine first. And my brother being a little brother was like, oh, your name's your cat's name is Marty. I'm going to name mine Mary. Very creative Davis. Um, he's maybe listening to this. So, um, there were perfect angels. They lived a really well, Mary's still alive. Marty just passed away a few months ago, like right before Christmas. And he was like the best cat in the world. He was so friendly. He like act, he acted like a little dog, like would just follow you around constantly wanted to be touching you was not afraid of strangers at all. Um, just like so sweet. And I really miss him and love him. Um, and Mary's still alive and kicking, and she was the cover of one of our Season of the Bee episodes. So you can go back to Season of the Bee Loves and see Mary, the world's most beautiful cat. Um, like Jules, my mother got a replacement dog when I went to college. Um, she got a second replacement dog the year after my brother went to college. So now there are two dogs. I don't like have like a specific bond with them really. Um, and then it comes time to talk about my pets. I have two beautiful sons named Momo and Gerald. Um, they're perfect cats and angels. And for a brief time, I had a cat named Wallace, who was a terror and may have been Upton reincarnated, actually, because he was a, they, a black cat as well. Um, I was thinking about that when you were talking about Upton. I was like, you've had a couple truly demonic cats. I Yeah. And like <laughs> Upton was a black cat. Wallace was a black cat. They like kind of looked alike. Um, and Wallace, I adopted when I was still with my ex. Um, and he was like, basically there was this, this ASPCA van parked right outside our apartment in New York. So obviously it was just a van full of kittens. So obviously I had to go like, look at these kittens, like not expecting to get one, but my partner picked up the, this cat that was sleeping and the cat just like nuzzled into him and started purring. and was so happy. And I, we were like, okay, I guess we have to get this cat. Turns out that cat was a fucking monster. And the only time that it was nice at all was right after it woke up. So you have like a 10 minute period during the day that Wallace is going to like want to snuggle. And it happened that that was the exact period that Ed like picked him up during. Um, and so that's how we ended up with Wallace, who would just like, I don't even know how to describe Wallace. He was so evil. You just would like approach him. And unlike like normal cats, if they don't want you to do something, they like scratch at you or bite you or whatever. Wallace would just make this guttural sound like this. 
Zoe's <laughs> muted, but yeah. <laughs> that terrifies me. Oh my god. <laughs> so weird. So he would make his sounds. And if you continued doing whatever you were doing, which frequently is just petting him or being near him generally, he would just start hissing at you. But he, it was just like, Wallace, what the fuck is your problem, dude? He would steal, he would always steal food. It doesn't matter what it was. Sometimes one time I came home with a bag full of kiwis, and you have to put away food immediately when you have Wallace because he'll eat whatever's out. But foolishly, I was like, surely he won't eat these kiwis. I woke up the next morning, <laughs> every kiwi had a single cat-sized bite taken out of it. Just one. I love that he was like, that's disgusting. But now let's try this one. <laughs> this is also really funny because i you're literally describing like word for word my dog ellie's behavior like that is exactly how she acts (laughs) which is so interesting (laughs) oh yeah but i no longer get so much access to wallace as you know when we split up i got momo and gerald ed got the demon cat sorry not sorry (laughs) Um, um Kelly uh, did also try to convince me a couple of times to take Wallace. Do you remember so that? I was like, I yeah, so I was like, I really, I really want a cat. Like, I <laughs> feel like a familiar for me would be like a black cat. And I was like, oh, you do I have a black cat for you? And I was like, Kellen, you've told me way too much about Wallace for me to want to take this cat. <laughs> I was like, no, no, I think I want a cat who like loves me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Um, so now that we've spent 45 minutes talking about the animals that we like, um, I just thought it could be interesting to talk about the history of animal domestication, just to give us a little context um, for, you know, what we've been talking about. And like, I wanted to start with cats because I am a cat person, as we've established. Um, and it's kind of interesting, like how we came to like live with cats. So the first examples that we have of humans taming wild cats is less than 10,000 years old, which I, you know, if we talk about other animals is not very long ago. Um, And the evidence is pretty interesting and pretty recent that we've discovered this, um, the earliest example that we have. And it starts with bones of wild cats that were found in Cyprus from around 7,500 BC. And scientists don't think any cats or cat-like creatures are endemic to Cyprus, um, which suggests that the wild cat whose bones were found there was actually brought to Cyprus by humans. Cyprus is an island, of course, brought to the island by humans. And the cat in question was actually buried with a human skeleton, which is like further evidence of this link between cats and the humans that probably brought it from the mainland. Um, And cat domestication on like a larger scale probably began in the Middle East in the Fertile Crescent area, like as agricultural practices developed there and became more stabilized. So scientists and archaeologists think that cats were probably not taken in as pets as much as they developed this sort of mutually beneficial relationship with humans, which happens all the time in evolution. Um, In which humans were like, oh, this species is like taking care of rodent populations that are targeting my fields and my grain stores. And cats are like, oh, these humans have a bunch of rats around them and I can eat them. And so that was sort of the beginning of that relationship. And just to touch briefly on like, you know, the very, I think, famous association with cats that we have in like the ancient world, which is ancient Egypt, Um, you know, cats were like frequently revered there. Egypt is home to the oldest pet cemetery, which is something, you know, borrowing a a term from Stephen King, I guess. Um, And it is about 2000 years old and features a bunch of mummified cats, which were wearing, this is a quote from an article that I read about it, remarkable iron and beaded collars. Um, So Zoe's dog has like a very cool tag uh and in some yes, ways you and pisces are just like following you know the trends that were set thousands of years ago by ancient egyptians um wow i love that next time my mom roasts me for spending too much money on my dog and then complaining about being broke i'm gonna tell her that yeah and just <laughs> to like wrap it up because i could talk for a long time about this i just wanted to say that i think it's really interesting that cats aren't that different from like their wild ancestors. Um, Like Jules is going to talk about dogs, I think. Like 
Pomeranians look very different from wolves, for example, but like my cat Gerald looks a lot like a panther, just sort of smaller. Um, (laughs) Momo, on the other hand, could not survive 12 minutes on these mean streets. That's a different story. Um, But like cats didn't end up developing the same kind of personalities that dogs do. We know that a lot of dogs are super friendly, like really attention seeking. And like Zoe said about Tiger Lily, like a lot of time cats are just like, nah, there's like two or three humans that I like and the rest of y'all can go fuck yourselves. And I really (laughs) like and respect that about cats. Oh my God, my (laughs) Momo is licking. I left... I left a thing of Parmesan, like a block of Parmesan cheese on my counter, and Momo just jumped up and started licking it. Oh my god. Does that kind of thing all the time. He loves um, <laughs> Also, just something quick I wanted to add about cats. So I was in Istanbul um a couple years ago visiting my aunt there, and people have pro- like the cats of Istanbul are like pretty well known. So they essentially just have a lot of like stray cats around, but everyone like not everyone a lot of people just like take care of them like a lot of restaurants will like put out scraps for them to eat like there's kind of like a collective caretaking a lot of them will like go into stores or like keep going into the same store and like just kind of hang out and it actually they like don't have a rat problem because of it um and it's just like I guess a very different culture of like the cats are so kind of wild but like kind of domesticated and people just like contribute to like a lot of the stores also will have like a little cat shelter outside and just like stuff like that it's very cute I held so many cats when I was there. I wanted to take so many of them home, but I had to take an airplane, so I didn't. I love that. Um, Yeah, okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about dog domestication. Um, So like Helen was saying, dogs, unlike cats, evolved pretty recently from wolves. So like ancient dogs are very different from ancient cats, which are more similar to like the cats that we know and love today. Um, So dogs first started to evolve away from wolves to become like a separate animal about 40,000 years ago, which kind of suggests that was like around the time that we were developing this relationship with them. Um, And kind of similar to the cat things that you were mentioning, Kellen, there is evidence of the first dog burial from about 15,000 years ago, where there's like a dog found buried with two humans. which is really cute and also basically suggests that by that point dogs were like considered pets or like a part of the community in some way Mm -hmm. um, because they were buried in this very careful way. Um, And interestingly, dogs are the only animals that we have evidence basically like that they evolved because of humans or in relationship to humans before like farming and agriculture became kind of dominant in human life. So dogs, unlike other animals, evolved when most people were still living in hunter-gatherer, like nomadic communities. Um, Also, most other large carnivores were often killed off by humans to the point of extinction or near extinction um, because they were competition and also they were a good food source. So it's unusual that this did not happen with wolves and we instead developed this relationship with them. So why is that? One common theory is that dogs were drawn to like waste areas and bones and stuff that were left by humans near their camps. And then they gradually got comfortable enough and like saw that humans had some food that they were willing to live near them without trying to eat them. Um, Another theory that I just read in this paper that actually was published last year is that in some places humans specifically had too much lean meat as opposed to like fats and other nutrients that humans need. So they gave the extra protein to wolves who can survive on just lean meat, which humans cannot. Um, And there's also a theory that humans realized wolves could help them with hunting and started to kind of train them to live with humans for that reason. So while we'll probably never know exactly how or why dogs and humans evolved to live together, I think what is clear is that this relationship developed because it was mutually beneficial. And also both dogs and humans evolved to live better with each other. Um, So one example is that we have similar genes that are responsible for like sociability and friendliness. um, And those genes became stronger and more dominant in both wolves and humans as this relationship developed. Um, I think I just wanted to bring that up partly because I think 
sometimes when people talk about how humans and pets have like evolved to live together and built lives together, it's often presented as this very utilitarian thing where it's like, well, like cats just wanted the, to eat the rats and humans just wanted pest control. So that's like, that explains that. Um, and I think like, that's not wrong, but it does kind of like cut out the part, the emotional part of it and the fact that it has like fundamentally changed human brains as well. Um, and like, you know, all of human society and human relationships also developed initially for like utilitarian survival reasons. But we don't think that that means that all of our modern human relationships are fundamentally like selfish or utilitarian. Um, so I just want to say I don't think there's any reason to think that way about dogs or cats or other animals that we live with either. Um, I think particularly with dogs, like humans just have this very unique and special bond with them. And I think it's very cool of both of us to have created that. I love that. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to read a quick passage from Silvia Federici about how the rise of capitalism changed the relationship with animals and humans. Um, so yeah. She writes, another aspect that is yet to be fully understood is how the witch hunt changed our relationship to animals. With the rise of capitalism, a new social ethos developed that prized the capacity to discipline and channel one's instinctual desires into labor power. As self-control became the mark of humanity, a more profound differentiation was introduced between humans and the, quote, beasts, amounting to a cultural revolution. If we consider that before the advent of capitalism, a continuity was assumed between the animal and human worlds. <clears throat> Animals often being deemed responsible beings who were even endowed with the capacity to speak. At least as late as the 16th century, this view of animals persisted in many parts of Europe so that dogs, for instance, were brought to trial for, quote, crimes they had committed or as witnesses in trials for their owners, capable to assert with their behavior, their innocence or guilt. Oh, my but God. Can I just say real quick, <laughs> yeah. Zoe, imagine Angel, the cop dog. See, like being the bait no like being a bailiff oh. at like the trial of another dog for like that dog's various crimes <laughs> dog court okay sorry continue <laughs> no i think we have i'm obsessed here. by the 17th century a drastic change was underway reflected in descartes theory that animals are non-sentient machines having companion animals was increasingly treated with suspicion animals being depicted as the embodiment of that uncontrollable instinctuality that capitalism had to curb to produce a disciplined worker touching them caressing them living with them as had been the norm in rural areas became taboo with the witch hunt especially in england animals were demonized according to the theory that the devil provided his acolytes with daily helpers in the form of domestic pets um, serving to carry out the witch's crimes, these familiars are a constant theme in the English trials as evident of the irrational bestial nature of the witch and potentially every woman. So I would just like to say that perhaps the very demonic pets we speak of were really just the most anti-capitalist. I like that. I'd also say that this is basically Silvia Federici being like, uh, pet rent sucks. Exactly. That's the connection yes. I'm drawing. Absolutely. Capitalism <laughs> sucks. Pet rent sucks. Cats forever. Thank you so yes. much. Also, if you want to read more, that's from her her newer book called Witches, Witch Hunting, and Women. Go read the rest of it. So the next thing we wanted to talk about is um, emotional support animals. Both of my pets are registered ESA. Um, Hell yeah. Yes. And what I would like to talk about really in this section is my horrible psychiatrist. So, um, yeah, so I talked to my psychiatrist about getting a letter, all you need legally to have emotional support pets, which, um, there's different like levels. If you want to like take them on an airplane or like into restaurants and stuff like that for the purpose of pet rent, which we'll talk about more. Um, you just need a letter from your therapist or a medical professional saying that you have mental health diagnostics and they're recommending that you have a pet, um, legally, you're not allowed to be asked for more information. So I asked my therapist and my therapist wrote me a letter, but she isn't in state and my landlord actually didn't care, but some, for some, they want it to be someone in state. So anyway, I asked my psychiatrist and my psychiatrist was like, um, yeah, we don't really do that for people who aren't actually disabled by their 
um, conditions. Uh, what I will say without going into personal details is fuck? by now what you've gathered is that I have both a therapist and a psychiatrist. I'm also on three different psych meds at this time. Um, so curious to me, further evidence that she's a capitalist, she said that being actually disabled by your mental health in her practice is defined by being unable to work. Bullshit. Um, bullshit. And she was like, I mean, everyone gets some emotional support from their animals. So it's like, it's really overused. And people just like, don't want to pay pet rent, which like, who the fuck cares if people don't give their oh, wow, kind of money hot. to have I mean, pets? who wants to pay pet rent? Like, that's... <laughs> Yeah, that also, would be suspicious if someone right. wanted to pay additional rent for a reason. If like everyone gets emotional support from their pets and therefore everyone gets out of paying pet rent, is that a problem? Who does that hurt besides landlords? I see no problem. No fucking what? Yeah. Also, just goes to show like the extreme difference between different like mental health professions because. Um, I won't give any specific details, but a social worker that I know from working in social work, as soon as I told them I got a new dog was like, do you mean to write you a letter for your landlord? Like, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) And then my actual psychiatrist is like, well, we kind of don't do that. In the same appointment, the psychiatrist like recommended me going on a walk with my dog before bed when we were talking about my insomnia. So I'm like, you literally just like recommended using my dog for my mental health and then told me I couldn't have a letter saying that she helps me. Whatever. Fuck you. So stupid. <laughs> so that's my quick rant. We could talk more about the whole emotional support animal things. Animals are emotional support, period. And then kind of going off of that, why don't you just talk briefly about some classism with having pets? So where I work right now is an agency that provides long-term housing for people who are HIV positive. And it's not like a housing facility. It's like we essentially provide them with rent and there's a rent cap and they can choose where they live. So they're in all different buildings. Um, But technically on the grant, which is HUD funded, so that's federal housing and urban development. um, It's written in the grant that our clients are not allowed to have pets. Um, We let them have pets unless anyone from the federal government is listening. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) It's just like bullshit. And the idea behind it is that, oh, like if they have money for a pet, they should be like contributing to their rent. And it's like reminds me of people that are like, I saw a homeless person with a phone. And it's like, you. right. It's like, okay, yes, pets can be expensive, but they do not cost the amount of like rent. Like it's just bullshit. Um, also, a lot of our clients have pets that they like just kind of found and we're like, I brought this cat home and like, we don't give a shit. Um, but it just goes with this idea that, like, you have to, like, have money to, like, deserve a pet. And also our clients have chronic illness. And, of course, there's benefits of, like, having a pet for your mental health and your physical health. So that's bullshit. But I guess, like, a plus side of that is I've been finding, um, and this was actually both for myself and my clients, um, in Chicago, at least, there's a decent amount of, like, pet mutual aid. There's a couple organizations that do that. And that includes, like, um, there's pet food pantries around. There's like low fee pet clinics. Um, they have like a hotline for dealing with landlords. They also have kind of like a pet training hotline because that stuff's expensive. Um, which I guess I just think it's important that like I think people might think it's a little bit um, I don't know the right word gauche to have like pet mutual aid, but it's really like. Everyone deserves housing and everyone deserves to have pets in their housing if that's what they want. End of story. Full send. I love that. I also, I feel like just when you were talking about this, I was thinking about how so many like people in power seem to think that like poor people don't deserve happiness or meaningful relationships. And that feels like a part of that where it's just like that it just like makes no sense like it's just cruel to be like oh you can't like have a meaningful relationship with an animal because that's part of this like government grant yeah especially our grant specifically there's another grant that's for like families the one i work on specifically is for people living by themselves and so it's fucked up regardless but like these are humans living by themselves that are being told like but you can't have a pet with you like it's just bullshit anyway we don't love the federal government. Enemy of the pod, the U.S. federal government. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, 
well, I think we wanted to close with just um, a little bit about animal intelligence and kind of what, what we can learn from animals. Um, I've been thinking a lot lately about how I can best make space for the animals in my life to be themselves and like express themselves in the way they want to as much as that is safe for them to do. Um, and I wanted to just share this quote about animal intelligence that I love from Alice Sparkly Cat, who we interviewed last year for our episode on post-colonial astrology. Um, their newsletter is great. Highly recommend signing up for it if you haven't already. But one thing I really like about the newsletter is that it's not just horoscopes for individual signs. It also opens with kind of a short essay about generally like on the theme of what's happening with the stars that month. Um, and so this was from last March. Quote, when you doubt your responsibility to pleasure, consider watching a cat when it demands to play. My cat doesn't doubt her right to fun. She brings her favorite toy to me with her mouth, stands up on hind legs, and clings her front paws onto my leg while meowing in a demanding tone. If I don't get up, she jumps right onto my keyboard. She doesn't care that I'm working. She doesn't try to control my reactions, and she doesn't live in fear that I will not accept her desire for pleasure. She simply asks for what she wants. If I don't give her what she wants, she makes a stink face. She doesn't punish me. My cat is your role model this March. Venus and the sun being exalted want you to know exactly what you want, and they want you to ask for these things. If you don't get what you want, Venus and the sun want you to make a stink face and acknowledge your disappointment. They want you not to punish yourself for asking for what you want, even in the moments when you don't get what you ask for. Oh, I love that. I also love that Alice Sparkly Cat's Twitter is like half astrology content, half cat content. Yes. Amazing. They do have such a cute cat. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So I don't have as much familiarity of cats, but I do think there's something so powerful about cat energy that is like deeply, I don't give a fuck. And there's something to really be learned there um, as someone who grew up up people pleasing. Um, But with dogs, I have found that their intelligence is, you know, incredible. Many of the dogs in my life are not only very intelligent in that they can learn and understand how to solve problems or whatever, but I think it's always been so striking to see like the emotional intelligence of these animals. So if I'm going through something or if I'm crying, I find that dogs are so good at comforting me and they just get it and like snuggle right up. And that's just such a beautiful thing. Yeah, Momo does that for me, and I just want to echo what Zoe said, which is that all animals are emotional support animals. Exactly. Yes, and all landlords are bad and don't deserve our money for them. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so unlike some members of this podcast, when it comes to the cat-dog binary, I identify as not binary, um, which is how I identify in terms of everything. Um, But as I've discussed, I have both a cat and a dog, and I feel like in terms of emotional support, they bring very different things to the table. I was thinking about this when I was like, what if my landlord tells me I can't add another emotional support animal because I already have one on my lease? But first of all, they offer different things. Secondly, I think at minimum, you should get one pet per like mental health diagnosis. And so I am not even there yet. Yeah, (laughs) I have many more to go. Let me tell you. But for instance, in terms of their differences, like when I'm crying, my cat is like, I'm going to go in the other room and give you space. I don't know what's happening. I don't really want a part of this. Um, But when I'm in like physical pain, she like knows and usually lays right next to me. And I heard that like cat purrs, the vibration are like healing to humans. So I will like put her on whatever hurts and just be like, this is healing me. And she's here for it. Um, yeah. And then I feel like, like what Laura was saying with my pup, she's very like emotionally in tune. And it's just like, I've been having like a lot of heavy readings with the classes I'm in and like the things I'm studying and she will just snug me while I read stressful things. And it's so good. But I think in terms of like learning from pets, like Jules was saying, something that's been really interesting is like pets have very clear ways of setting boundaries. And over the past several weeks when I've been working on like introducing my cat and my dog and um, Brooklyn has lived with dogs before Pisces. They didn't know if she'd lived with cats. My guess is no. I don't think she knows like what the fuck a cat is. She's been very confused, but we're like slowly working on it. And I think it's really sweet to see like 
how they slowly start to bond and understand each other. And it's cool to see that they each have like very clear ways of setting boundaries and like learning to understand and interact with each other, such as, um, I mean, Pisces pretty much just does like a little bark when Brooklyn's like doing too much. Um, and they'll like Pisces really try to chase Brooklyn and Brooklyn likes it to an extent and they get scared. But like when she's scared, Pisces like realizes and just like turns around. Um, so they're definitely like learning each other's cues. The first few days, they both just seemed like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, but yeah, I think watching pets set their boundaries and because their language is different, they're very clear. They're like, fuck off right now. And the other one gets it. And I think we can learn from that. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. It's so interesting too, thinking about how like cats and dogs can learn to communicate because I definitely feel like they communicate differently. Um, I think like one thing for me that just like in terms of learning things about animal communication, I feel like learning how my cats express themselves has been a really important part of getting to know them. Um, like one example, obviously like cats purr when they're happy. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think as someone who has had dogs before, like that's just been really new and exciting to me where I'm like, oh my God, I can like tell when you're happy. And like, you like when I pet you in that specific spot the most because your purrs get louder. Um, That's just like, it's, there's just something so like pleasing about being like, you're communicating something to me and I understand it. And I can now change my behavior in response to that. Um, One fun thing that I learned recently is that for cats, like their equivalent of smiling is basically like squinting your eyes almost all the way closed and then really slowly like closing them and opening them up to slightly open. Um, And sometimes I'll like do that to my cats and then they do it back. And I'm like, oh my God, we're like communicating across time and space. And it Uh, makes me feel so powerful. That's so cute. (laughs) Love that. Yeah. I also slow blink at my cats a lot. Um, I also accidentally slow blinked at my boyfriend the other day. I was like, oh, fuck, sorry. I do that so much to my cats to show affection that I accidentally just did it to you, another human who understands English very well. Um, But I just looked him in the eye and slow blinked. Uh, I honestly love that. I think we should we should take something from cats. They they figured out something good. So fucking weird. Um. Anyway, if you want to pay our pet rent for us, since so many of us are tied up in that institution, you can fund us at patreon.com slash season of the bitch. You can also chat with us online at season of the bee on both Instagram and uh, I was going to say Snapchat. We don't have a Snapchat. It's Twitter. I spend like eight hours a day on Twitter. I should know the name of that website. (laughs) um season the be at twitter as well uh you know if you're enjoying this content leave a review uh give us five stars on itunes if you're not enjoying this content fuck off i guess um Girls, and- why are you still here if you're not enjoying it yeah, you can send us <laughs> comments or questions or anything at season of the bee at gmail.com. And uh yeah, I think that's about it. Give your pets a pet for us. 1,000 pets. 1,000 pets. Tell your pets we love them. Because we do. Love you. Love Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Season of the Bitch.